Okay, so let's let's open it up to all kinds of questions about counseling or theology or anything. Martha, you've been waiting for something. Well, I have a couple of questions. I have one for Jay and one for both of you. I, I know you've written a lot of books. Which one do you think is the most important book that you've ever written? That's a good question. I have no idea. I, I don't think in those categories. Often people say, who's your favorite preacher? Who is, who is this favorite? Or what's at the top of that or list of so-and-so? I don't think in those categories. Um, I don't have any favorites. I know which ones I don't like as much as others, but uh, favorites is a different issue. And uh, uh, yeah, that's just the way I am. When I think about a preacher, for example, um, who's your favorite preacher? People say, well, boy, I really go after this person. I'm going to model my preaching after him. I don't think that way. I think, no, this guy is great on illustrations. And this, this guy is terrific on exegesis. And this fellow is terrific about that. So I, I want to get the best out of each one rather than thinking holistically of one person ha having all of it because they don't. Nobody's got it all. It's what we just heard. Nobody's perfect. So, um, I, I'm sorry I can't answer that question. I, I, I really would like to, but I, I, I just don't think that way. I, I can answer it. I, <laughs> yeah, because of all the books I've written, I like the one that was published the best. <laughs> okay, next question. Biblical counselors can kind of get off track. It goes biggest again. It's just, no. Well, even a little danger. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many ways we can get off track. I mean, that, again, it's, a, it's the same answer in a sense, but uh, uh, man, there isn't that almost anything we could do that we can't do wrongly. Uh, all the right things we, we do, we can do wrongly. Uh, we can open our Bibles and talk to people from the Bible wrongly. You know, we can advise people from a passage wrongly. Uh, there's just so much we can do wrong that, that I can see us going wrong anywhere and everywhere and, and that we do do that. that. That's part of this sin that we're hearing about the imperfection that's in us today and uh, if one of the, I'd like to tell you what's the greatest danger to avoid. You'd like me to know that probably. Uh, man, the greatest danger to avoid is is to avoid all the dangers. I, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I think I was thinking more in terms of trends in biblical counseling. Trends? Yeah. I don't know enough about trends. But I'll tell you what I do know. Uh, I think there's a trend to uh, to leave the Bible behind and uh, go back to a place where, or similar to where some people were before we started using the scriptures. I think there's a trend to do that again. And 
That's very dangerous. I don't say that anybody's fully reached that extent who's in what you call biblical counseling circles, whatever that means. But I believe there there's a tendency there, and uh, it's, it's dangerous. And we know that Satan has not given up the battle. Pardon me? Satan has not given up the battle against biblical counseling. No, he, he's, in fact, he's winning the battle. He's always been winning the battle. We, we've never done it right. We, we've always done it poorly. And uh, where we've helped people at all, we've, you know, it's been by the grace of God and not by... So, no, he hasn't given up the battle. He's not going to either. I would say, uh, and it's probably because my head is where it is right now, that I, I think I think the danger is even using the Bible but not seeing Christ as preeminent and not be, being so focused on the details and the nitty-gritty and do this and do that, but it doesn't come from a heart of, I want to properly represent God in what I say and what I do. So that even when we're counseling, we could we could be spitting out verses and passages, but not aware of the fact that it, it's not, we're not, well, you know, biblical counselors have been accused of beating people up with the Bible, which, as you know, is probably only partially true. There's, there's always some people that take what Jay has written uh, I'll confess, when I first read his books, uh, I was so convinced that I found somebody else that agreed with me. And I, and I was right that you need the Bible and not other other junk. I, and I'd read other junk uh, to help people. That I was, I was kind of arrogant. And I, I knew I was right. I couldn't help it if I was right. I knew it. You know, and... When arguments come up, and especially arguments with Christians who were degreed in psychology or psychiatry, and they were convinced a certain method or interpretation or diagnosis was right, and uh, I, I was kind of arrogant and forceful, and I wasn't nice about it. I, w I was right in what I said, you know, but I wasn't mirroring God. I wasn't Christ-like, like speak the truth in love, you know, those verses. But they make more sense now to me, you know. So uh, to me right now, that's that's an emphasis that I'm concerned about. Yeah. I, I got an email from a pastor about a month or two ago, and he's investigating youth headed counseling. And he asked me what five books are absolutely essential to his library to understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, <laughs> having having practiced it by saying other than the Bible, what other books would I recommend to him to have in his library to get an understanding of mutetic counseling and how it? Very interested in what you recommended. Well, of course, your books were on the top of the list. Um, I I told him the. Confident the Council was a good place to start, and then the Christian Counselor's Manual. And there was one put out by Wayne Mack and John MacArthur as well that I recommended. Uh, and then I asked Joe to help me. Uh, he and my wife both agreed on the instrument in the Redeemer's hand, 
that being a good book to have in the library as well. I can't remember what the fifth one was. But I, I'm just curious on, on where you would where you would have guided him, either one of you or both of you. I don't, I don't guide people to my books in particular. Um, uh, I, I would suggest if they're interested in a particular kind of thing that this book would be most useful. That would be more of the way I would like to think of it than what's the first best five books or so. I mean, I want to know where he is to begin with. If he's the kind of fellow who's, who's deeply steeped in psychology, that, then we might advise one thing. If he's the kind of fellow who's very open to anything biblical, then we might buy, advise something else. Uh, in other words, that's the, that's the kind of way that I would give advice, I think. I like your list. Yeah, I put Jay's books up there. and I like Paul's, Paul's book, Instruments, too. Um, I like it. It's a good book. Yeah, Bob. People in our culture are not always very disciplined. Always what? Very disciplined. So how do you go from gentle proddings to do homework to something more aggressive when the homework continually doesn't get done? Very simple. <laughs> Two things. First of all, if indeed the homework is essential, it should be good homework, not, not just uh, busy work. If it's something the person must do in order to honor Christ, you explain that. You say we can't go on in our counseling unless it gets done. Because this is fundamental to any next step that we take. And we explain why that is so from whatever the passage is or the situation may be. So I make the homework First of all, I want to be sure, I've found an awful lot of people who just, just give verses to learn and that kind of thing, but it's not, not really homework of the sort that, that grows out of the, the person's situation and the scripture's response to it. But if it's really good homework, and it really is essential, we, we say that. In fact, I've sometimes said to people, you know, I can't go on any farther in this in this session, uh, if you go over the, the next room over there, and uh, I'll give you some paper and pencil, maybe you can at least write down a, or sketch down a, how you're going to go about doing this thing. Then come on back, and we'll sit down and talk about that a little bit. But I'd like you at least get started on it. Uh, I like getting going somehow. There are all kinds of things you can do, but but the fundamental thing is, if it's right kind of homework, then the person should see that it's essential and should be made to see as much as you're able to that, that you just can't move on in counseling apart from it. The only thing I'd add, which you probably already know, is to, to see what, if there are any excuses that have any merit to them, uh, such as things got in the way and maybe they have the discipline the lack of self-discipline and need to work on that homework first, getting more discipline, getting a schedule, getting oriented toward uh, doing something at a certain time because they're 
more of a uh, tyranny of the urgent kind of person and remove that excuse and so the other homework can get in the way. Other than that... Uh, and sometimes the, the structure you're talking about, discipline, can be done at the same time that you're giving the homework. Right. In a, by giving the, the homework in a disciplined fashion. And uh, so you can kill two birds with one stone. Now, don't go away and say that I go around talking about killing birds and kills. <laughs> Next. We have uh, run into a situation with men who, in our church, know the Word of God. As our, a mutual friend of Joe and I, Ron Klein, used to, is very popular for saying there's a, an 18-inch gap between what they have up here and what's going on down here. And just recently one of these men said, I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't know why I don't want to do it or what's keeping me from doing it. How do I get from knowing what I'm supposed to be doing and living and what I believe to actually doing it? How would you, how would you approach that? That's I don't know the person, so I can't tell you how to approach him. And that's the first thing that I, I want to make a, very clear. But in general, I would try to say to this person, I think, uh, look, you don't really know what's up here unless you know it down here. Because those two things aren't separate. They're really, they're really one and the same. And so let's talk about what we're really talking about here. And uh, we get into it from there. I don't know whether that would help or not. Yeah, I, just saying it from that perspective could give us probably a great opportunity. It's just that they knew the scriptures, they knew what the passages were, they were actually able to get either reference before we even got to On the other hand, it may be a very practical issue. Guy just has no creativity whatsoever in his mind about how to put things into practice. You may have to help him out with that, give him some advice. You know, if I were doing such and such, here's how I'd go about doing it. I don't know. I don't know the individual. That's a sad one to gather data on him, get to know him, and that kind of thing. You've got the James passage about doing and hearing. You're aware of that? And uh, you could back it up into chapter two, in, into chapter one uh, also. And uh, so, well, you I know, think it, it actually came down to the statement where he's saying you really need to start living out your theology, not just knowing it and saying you believe it, but living it. And his answer was... Yeah, but he doesn't know the theology if he is, hasn't learned to live it well, and to some his extent. Question was, well, how do I do that? Yeah, well, that's... That kind of caught me off guard. That's where we start asking, how has he been trying to do it? And if he hasn't been trying, then we've found already what the difficulty is. If he has been, he may have been doing all the wrong things, then let's try to help with that. How Practical homework assignments would help. Yeah. How have you been doing it? No. 
Anyone else? Don't we don't want to hold this too long because no, we're getting out of time and we want to take some photos if you want to. Get me with Jay, but, uh, if it, <laughs> but if there's any others, uh, let's let's hear them. Yeah, Jerry. When you find people who say they know what the scripture says, but they don't have a heart to do it, do we have reason to look at that heart? You can't see a man's heart. No, I can't see his heart, but I it says God alone knows the heart. We what we have the right to look at is his actions and to listen to his words. By their fruit shall you know them. Uh, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks upon the heart. The heart of man is invisible to God. I mean to man, and visible only to God. And I, I can deal with him and talk to him about his heart, tell him what he what it ought to be like. Heart simply means the inner person. It involves everything that goes on inside of an individual, by the way. It's not some one aspect of the person. And um, well, I can't look into a person's heart. The Bible forbids it. It's a wrong, wrong counseling construct in my, concept, my thinking to try to find out what's down in a person's heart beyond what you see and what you hear and say it suggests to me this so let's move in that direction mm -hmm. I was thinking uh, you know the 18 inches is, has been an old in, you know, illustration that confuses because it separates the mind from the heart which the scriptures don't do because yeah, within the heart where the sword can divide is the thoughts and intents you know. I think it's, it's like People that are raised in the church, they know all the vernacular. That's right. They all they know all the, the words to all the hymns, to, you know. <coughs> and so they've grown up in the culture, and you know, there's such a term as membership to them. Well, here's here's a challenge, not to offend the person, but to get them to think. You know, if you're saying that you your mind is working, you know what to do, but your heart doesn't want to do it. When you understand that the mind and the heart are essentially the same. Are you saying that you're actually double-minded? You know, you, you, and James speaks your mind, about that. Yes, yeah, because Scripture deals with that. If you're double-minded, you have a mind to know what's right. You have a mind that says, I don't want to do what's right. I'm not going to. Uh, then that's double-mindedness. Now, let's, let's look at that passage. Why don't you, why don't you uh, obey what you know to do? And let's think about this heart thing just a little more. Um, the word heart is an all-encompassing word in the scriptures. We have a Valentine's Day view of heart in, in Western culture, uh, meaning emotions. That is not a biblical concept. We talk about what you need in your preaching is more heart, less head, that kind of thing, you know. And that's a biblical dichotomy that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist that the heart and head are never set against each other in the Bible. What's always set against one another is the heart and the outer person. The hidden part, the hidden person of the heart in First Peter against the, the woman with her outward adornment and so on. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Uh, on and on and on. It's always the outer is over against the inner. What you, you 
you reflect to other people uh, from your actions and so on as to what you really are inside. This is hypocrisy uh, that we're talking about it, it, to, to the extent that we all have it, and some people more than others, that uh, Jesus talked about constantly, about the cup being being uh, washed on the outside, but all the green hairy stuff growing on the inside about the whitewashed graves where uh, there was dead men's death and bones and everything else within but whitewash on the outside looks so good and uh, so there's the inner outer constantly the Bible is the inner outer inner outer and that's the way we ought to start thinking about heart everything goes on inside his heart conscience mind uh, everything decision making reasoning it's all heart. And the outside just... Pardon me? The outside is what... What? It comes... The, the manifestation... The come from the inside. Sure it does. And even when it, it doesn't reflect the inside in one sense, I mean, that's what hypocrisy is all about. You're, you're trying to appear differently, uh, different are. than you are within... You raised a question. Pardon me? You raised a question I did. in your answer, yes? Oh, I don't mean to raise questions. Yeah. My question is, them. My, my question is this. The green You're hair, not allowed to ask the, questions. The green, the green hairy stuff, is that in the Greek? Because I didn't see yeah, it. That's in the Greek, yeah. Okay. In the cup. That's, that's not in the Greek. That's in some people's refrigerator. Oh, okay. <laughs> Next question. Well, you've all seen the green Harry's oh, cup okay, in, in, okay, in, okay. The, Enough of the, in the guy's office, sitting up on a shelf somewhere. I mean, that that's what really gives the image to me. Some guy's office, where there it is. Yeah. He hasn't been there for a week or two. But the outside isn't clean. It's dusty. Well, yeah, but you got do what you can with illustrations. Okay. <laughs> okay. No more questions? Let's thank Dr. Adams.